This podcast includes information provided by the issuer and does not express the views of the interviewer. This podcast may also include forward-looking statements by the issuer that involve certain risks and uncertainties to its business. Because forward-looking statements are subject to risks and uncertainties, the issuer's actual results could differ from those indicated in this podcast. Welcome to the Planet Microcap Podcast. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you all so much for the support and for tuning in. You can follow Planet Microcap on Twitter at Bobby K. Kraft. That's B-O-B-B-Y-K-K-R-A-F-T, and you are listening to episode 97. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to tweet at me or shoot me an email at rkraft at snnwire.com. And when you do get a chance, if you like what you hear, please rate and review Planet Microcap on iTunes. It really helps provide feedback for me and spread the microcap message. For this episode of the Planet Microcap podcast, I caught up with Adam Epstein, founder of Third Creek Advisors, LLC. I previously had Adam on the podcast for episode 22, where we discussed the importance of paying attention to corporate governance. Since then, a new platform has been launched called Small Cap Institute, whose ecosystem, as it states on their website, and I quote, is designed to elevate objective differentiated education and transformative peer exchange and empower small cap leaders to avoid value destructive advice, end quote. Founded by David Shear, who, as it states on their website, and I quote, occupies a unique vantage point from which to understand at a granular level which issues are most troubling to small cap CEOs and boards, end quote. And you probably know David from his work at LD Micro with Chris Lahiji. Adam Epstein joined Small Cap Institute's advisory board to support and help David execute the mission and problem SCI is trying to solve, a potential antidote to microcap value destruction. Thank you again for tuning in to episode 97, and please enjoy my interview with Adam Epstein. But first, a word from our sponsor. Hi, everyone. Robert Kraft here, your host on the Planet Microcap podcast. As some of you may know, when I'm not interviewing folks for the podcast, I also host CEO video interviews and Wall Street views with investing experts for SNN's YouTube channel, SNN Network. I wanted to take a moment to invite you all to subscribe to the SNN Network YouTube channel. As a subscriber, you'll be the first to be notified when we publish a new CEO video interview with microcap management teams, a new Wall Street view video interview with investing experts, panels and keynote presentations from our conferences, as well as new and archived podcast interviews. Go to www.youtube.com backslash SNNWire and click the subscribe button. Again, that's www.youtube.com backslash SNNWire and click subscribe. Thank you for subscribing and for your continued support. For this episode of the Planet Microcap Podcast, I'd like to welcome back Adam Epstein, founder of Third Creek Advisors. Adam, welcome back to the Planet Microcap Podcast. Thanks for having me back again, Bobby. It's great to have you back. So uh, before we get into the the meat and potatoes of our interview today, you know, I'd love to get your background again. You know, how did you end up to where you're currently at today? Sure. So succinctly, uh, some of your listeners probably know that I was an institutional investor for many years. Prior to being an institutional investor, 
I started out my career when I was a kid as a lawyer at a large law firm here in San Francisco Bay Area. Subsequent to being a lawyer, I had a 10-year operating career, give or take, not only involved in tech and retail, but executive education as well. And like lots of entrepreneurs that are probably listening, I had some modest successes and also some pretty spectacular failures to go along with those as part of the <laughs> part of the course uh, when you are an entrepreneur. In 2002 slash three, came together with Brendan O'Neill and Mitch Levine to, to co-found Enable Capital Management. Enable Capital Management managed several special situation hedge funds that provided capital directly to micro and small cap companies, predominantly here in the U.S. We invested somewhere like a billion dollars into uh, almost 500 micro and small cap companies. And so by any measure in the in those 2000 in the 2000s era, we were one of the largest, most active special situation hedge funds in the United States. And in the nearly uh, 10 years since leaving the buy side, I co-founded, uh, pardon me, I founded uh, Third Creek Advisors, uh, which is an entity that advises the boards of pre-IPO as well as small cap public companies. Our, our firm provides a buy side perspective or, or the perspective of a former institutional investor to the boards of those pre-IPO and small cap companies, particularly with respect to issues like capital markets, like corporate finance, like corporate governance. Um, and during uh, the pendency of my tenure at Third Creek, I also uh, wrote a number one ranked corporate governance book on Amazon called The Perfect Corporate Board. I wrote that for McGraw-Hill, publisher in New York. And uh, unlike a lot of folks, I imagine, who write books for big publishers, I actually don't make any money from the book, notwithstanding the fact that in 2017 it made it to the number one book on Amazon. I donate all of my royalties to a charity called Fisher House Foundation that does a terrific job of supporting U.S. veterans. Uh, and as you know, and some of your listeners uh, might know, I also speak quite a bit around the world about small cap capital markets and corporate finance and boardroom issues. I've probably given uh, give or take maybe 150 keynote speeches around the world as well. So that's that's how we get right up to uh, literally this minute, Bobby. I, are, are we sure? I mean, I really want to know what you ordered for lunch today as well. But, uh, you know, I, it's, I, I digress. And uh, probably the first of many bad jokes that we're going to hear today. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, as you said, uh, I've heard you speak at, at many conferences. You, you've been very generous with your time and, and sharing your knowledge as well with, with your, your number one bestseller as well. You know, and um, as, as I alluded to a little earlier, you and I spoke previously about corporate governance and its impact on micro and small cap value creation. But I've heard you speak and write about lots of other contributing forces to value destruction in small public companies. Uh, care, to, care to go through you know, what some of them are and, and that you saw when you were an institutional investor? Well, that is, that is why we are here to speak about micro cap value destruction. And I think uh, from my experience, not only as an institutional investor, but also as someone who's in boardrooms of small cap companies on, on a weekly basis. I think there are five what I would characterize as serial contributors, if you will, of micro and small cap value destruction. And that's aside from, of course, things like fraud or, or malfeasance. In other words, behind every underperforming 
micro slash small cap story, in my experience, you're going to find a minimum of these five kind of uh, contributing causes. The first one is CEOs who routinely get advice from savvy, in other words, you know, smart, intelligent retail slash institutional investors who have a very short-term bias. They would like the CEO, in other words, to do X or Y because it's going to induce the stock price to move in the near term. And look, these are persuasive people and CEOs who might lack material experience running a public company, which describes, as, as you know and a lot of your listeners know, the majority of micro and small cap CEOs. Those people find it pretty challenging to disregard that advice. So that's that's kind of bucket number one. Bucket number two are CEOs who who are routinely getting advice from people who I'll refer to as kind of friends and family, uh, either outside the company or regrettably inside the company on their boards, uh, etc. Who, and in the spirit of being really frank, really don't have a lot of idea what they're talking about. Uh, they might be otherwise pretty smart in their own in their own careers and lives, but when it comes to running a micro or small cap public company, it's not really their expertise. Uh, and let's just call this, you know, kind of lethally bad advice from otherwise uh, well-intentioned people. And and again, I saw this every day as a fund manager, and I certainly see it every day in advising boards of micro and small cap companies. The third uh, kind of bucket of, of kind of serial value destruction is otherwise high quality service providers, of which there are definitely many. I just want to be really clear in the micro and small cap continuum who are notwithstanding their expertise are are saddled with pretty crippling conflicts of interest. In other words, the perfectly fine investment bank that advises a company to undertake a needlessly dilutive financing because, let's face it, that's how they get paid. And I'm not speculating at all. Not only do I see it from an advisory standpoint, but again, I co-managed funds that invested in more than 500 financings and invested nearly a billion dollars. And I can tell you from that experience on the buy side that the majority of financings are way more dilutive than necessary. And that is caused in part by what I just referred to, which is kind of those conflicts of interest. But it's also combined with what I think you and I discussed, actually, Bobby, in our prior podcast, which is boards of serial capital raising micro and small cap companies that lack board members who really understand capital markets and corporate finance, right? Mm -hmm. So um, bucket number four, uh, and again, there's five, so almost done with the list. Um, <laughs> The fourth would be, again, in the spirit of being really frank, would be low and uh, I'll just say it out loud, very low quality service providers of which there are unfortunately dozens in the micro and small cap landscape who just and let's be frank about about why that matters. Uh, they're providing terrible advice to less experienced CEOs who in fairness to them, again, they could be really smart, really experienced, but are shepherding a public company perhaps for the first time. They have a hard time differentiating that from really good advice. And most micro and small cap companies, certainly in my experience, not only as an investor, but also as an advisor, they can't really endure lots of really bad IR advice, 
really bad. Banking advice, really bad. Legal advice, really bad. Audit advice, right? Because we're talking about challenged balance sheets. So the bar for service providers, unfortunately, in the small cap ecosystem is pretty darn low. And again, in the spirit of being as candid as possible, and every investor who's listening is going to shake their head in unison, those folks can do a lot of damage. Mm -hmm. And last, in the fifth bucket, last but definitely not least, is what Andy Shapiro, who uh, many of your listeners will know as the long-tenured small-cap investor. It's what Andy refers to as, quote-unquote, the imperial CEO, which is a great, uh, great uh, Andy Shapiro-ism. Uh, and that is the CEO who kind of knows everything. We've all run across this person and, and always needs to be the smartest person in the room. And, and look, why does that matter? The reason why it matters is because if you pair a an imperial CEO with any of the former four buckets, uh, you're almost certainly going to have either failure or underperformance. So uh, a, a, a lot to digest there, but those are the five buckets that I've seen that are behind, lurking behind almost every micro and small cap value destruction story. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And uh, and I think I could speak for my audience where they probably have heard a story that falls into one of those five buckets for sure. I already have a few off the top of my head that I could think of. Um, you know, so so in the 10 years you've been advising CEOs and boards of small cap companies at Third Creek Advisors, have you seen any improvement to all of these areas of value destruction that you saw when you were a fund manager? Well, I think the short answer, Bobby, is just is no, unfortunately. Frankly, it's gotten worse, I would argue, if anything, because, and again, just in the spirit of being really candid, of the sheer volume of uh, useless capital markets related content on the Internet. And I'm I'm in board meetings, as I referred to earlier in my capacity advising companies, I'm in board meetings weekly where someone will pass around uh, a so-called, quote unquote, white paper uh, promulgated by some person or some firm purporting to be an expert in, in X or Y. And uh, and as I said to a former buy side colleague uh, just the other day, I'm not sure which is more disturbing that people continue to produce that really low quality content or that people actually read it. It's, it's amazing, uh, I guess, what having a cool-looking website and or a glossy uh, PDF attachment can do. But, but look, it ultimately, again, in the spirit of being clear and being kind of low elevation here, why does it matter? Because it's the same movie for shareholders, and it doesn't end well. And I have to just quickly follow up because I know you have experience with, you know, not just small micro cap public companies, you know, you've worked with mid large cap companies as well. I mean, is is this value destructive uh, characteristics that you see out there also symptomatic in basically all equity asset classes? Good question. Kind of complicated answer. I think the short answer is there's a whole different set of them, but mm -hmm. not not frankly similar to a lot of the the five buckets that I outlined. There certainly is a whole uh, another bunch of buckets, but not the same. I have a feeling that will be our next podcast potentially. <laughs> we have, we have a lot of we have a lot of potential topics to to talk about in the future, but uh, I'll let I'll let that one uh, we'll put that on the sidelines for now. So. Sure. You know, the main reason that that uh, brought you here today is is uh, the new platform, uh, Small Cap Institute, 
you know, I, I've been able to uh, to go through some of the articles that are on there. You know, I know the founder, David Shear for many years now as well. And, and, you know, I think it's really interesting what you guys got going on here. So, you know, based on what you've been saying here when it comes to uh, these areas of value destruction that you've seen and continue to see, unfortunately, you know, it seems like the mission of Small Cap Institute is pretty much tailored to solving those exact problems. Is, is that what we're talking about here? Uh, it is. It is tailored to solve all of those problems. And and David, uh, David Sher, the founder uh, of Small Cap Institute, is in addition to his role. A lot of a lot of people, of course, a lot of your listeners probably know David from from LD Micro. A lot of them probably don't know that David is himself a long tenured uh, successful investor. And when he looked at his underperforming positions, which all investors, current or former, are kind of want to do, if you will. He saw the same five buckets that I described, and he saw them over and over and over again. You know, and I certainly saw them over and over again. And and at, at the risk of being presumptuous and speaking on behalf of Ian Castle, who's another editorial advisory board member, I know that he's seen those five buckets as well. And so, David spoke with loads of other buy side colleagues and they all saw the exact same thing as well so the genesis for creating an antidote if you will to this kind of serial value destruction really came from a collective buy side awareness of the problem and what i would characterize as kind of a universal interest in solving that problem mm -hmm. and if i were to say it uh, maybe a bit differently you know let's you know, I'm speaking on behalf of, of all the buy side folks that that David and and uh, and to a lesser extent I've spoken to. Let's make sure that small cap execs and board members have a direct pipeline with, by the way, no conflicted intermediaries, which is important to highly experienced long term focus investors and kind of bona fide capital markets experts so that small cap leaders and decision makers can for the first time, really understand how seasoned, seasoned investors, how they actually think, right? Not intuited by service providers, how they actually think about all of the issues that small cap companies struggle with on a day-to-day -day basis. That's really, that that's the mission uh, of Small Cap Institute. And it really does, circling back uh, more granularly to your question, it tracks exactly those five buckets of of value destruction. Got it. So then, so then, what is your role, and and why did you decide to join? David, David, and I met numerous times to discuss his vision over the last couple to a few years, and, and again, from the perspective of a former institutional investor uh, and someone who who is in these boardrooms all the time, it, it really, it really resonated with me. His vision, small cap investors. I think it's fair to say, and those of you who are listening who are will will probably nod and maybe smile because we've all done the same thing. Small cap investors have complained for generations about kind of value destructive decision making by execs and, and board members. And this is an opportunity to really change those vectors for good. And I think like a lot of things in life, it comes down to highly specific high quality education and it sounds really simple on the one hand right bobby just just provide smart small cap leaders with conflict free uh, easily digestible education materials about what actually works and what 
what doesn't in navigating the small cap capital markets. Uh, but it sounds easy, but it's not. Uh, and if it were easy, it would have already been done before. So uh, it just seemed to me, especially again, in listening to David describe his vision seemed like a great challenge. And I decided to join several other investors, experienced CEOs, and also a journalist from the corporate governance arm of, of the Financial Times uh, on their editorial advisory board. So I think I will going forward, not only be contributing articles, but also reviewing submissions, probably doing some group editing, mm -hmm. and also contributing uh, to the extent that anybody wants to listen to me uh, on the editorial advisory board to, to shape the content, <laughs> the content roadmap going forwards, because uh, education is always changing. So the, the content is always going to be uh, evolving. Did I, did I answer your question? I, I believe so. And, and I will also say, I don't think you have to worry about pe uh, people not wanting to listen to you. I, I, you, have, you have a lot of knowledge and insight and uh, that, that, you know, that's why I brought you back on today. Come on. So, <laughs> so, so, uh, so we, we discussed a bit about the problems that small cap Institute is trying to solve here. You know, could you explain how they're actually trying to solve them? And, and really, in other words, you know, what's unique about SCI's approach? Sure. So succinctly, there's really a two pronged approach that SCI is employing to empower these small cap leaders. First is what I would characterize as kind of a, a comprehensive knowledge database for members that is written by investors, it's written by other CEOs, it's written by really knowledgeable, long-tenured capital markets pros who, importantly, have lived firsthand all of the pain points that small cap CEOs and boards deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. Some of the articles in the knowledge database are literally a four or five-minute read. Some are 10 minutes, some uh, are longer, but they all have a few things in common. Number one, they're brutally frank. They all contain really clear, actionable takeaways for people who, let's face it, are very busy and have really serious decisions uh, to make. And and I know it's kind of hard in this kind of one-dimensional conversation to, especially not only for for you, Bobby, because you haven't been it, uh, behind the paywall of mm -hmm. of Small Cap Institute, but but also for your listeners that might not have even been to the to the site at all, to really understand when I say that this content is not only really kind of trying to be the antidote for for microcap value destruction but also to understand well you know why is this really so differentiated uh, in anticipation of speaking i i printed out uh, just nine titles they're not in any order uh, but i thought that they were illustrative of the content and i'll just i'll just read them out to you and i think not only you but also your listeners are going to really understand pretty quickly when I say that this is frank, very differentiated content written by experts. So the first one, first title was, quote, what most small cap leaders get wrong about trading volume. Second title, why the investor meeting you just had didn't go nearly as well as you think it did. Third, small cap fact patterns investors avoid, colon, the first ever cheat sheet for CEOs. Uh, four, 10 ways your quarterly earnings call is driving investors crazy. Five, there are good reasons why most small cap buybacks are ignored or worse. Six, there's only one replicable way to select the right investment bankers. Seven, what every small cap CEO needs to know about shareholder activism. Eight, a step-by-step -step approach to avoiding common mistakes when board members engage with shareholders. 
And number nine, why investors care so much about who is on your board. And so uh, the content in the knowledge database is, is written and edited by the advisory board members sometimes. It's also uh, those pieces are contributed by recognized domain experts. For example, we have a small cap focused cybersecurity piece that was written by a former Army Special Forces counterintelligence officer combined with another individual who's a 25-year veteran of the NSA, right? So pretty pretty differentiated content for the members uh, on that particular uh, subject. And so I said it was two-pronged. First prong, and I apologize, kind of a, kind of a, a lot to unpack here. But, no, we but, love uh, lists. The, we love lists. <laughs> the, the second, the first prong is kind of that knowledge database, right? So I'm trying to keep this uh, straight in my head as I'm speaking as well. <laughs> and, and the second part, is really, uh, you know, in my mind, and, and, and David's a humble guy, so I'll just say it for him, kind of David's stroke of, of genius, in my opinion. And that is the interactive forums part of part of the, uh, the paywall area for members. And that's a place where our members can anonymously and confidentially discuss not only the articles that are in the knowledge database, but they also can start discussions or ask questions about uh, whatever is on their minds. And, and I know we're, you know, you probably have more questions about that piece of it, but I'll just say, you know, kind of closing about the, the forums is that when we spoke with all of these CEOs and kind of the formative diligence phase, I was a small part of that. David was a, certainly a larger part of that. We heard, interestingly, a lot of the same things from CEOs, uh, Bobby, and from board members. And on the CEO front, we heard, you know, hey, look, this is this is a lonely job being the CEO of a, of a small public company. And we rarely get a chance to speak with other CEOs, with other CFOs, other board members, et cetera, about all the capital markets challenges and leadership challenges that we face on a day to day basis. So having this interactive forum solves and, you know, is really filling an enormous void out there in the capital markets. And it was really interesting to hear that over and over again from CEOs. Yeah, no, I can't wait to, uh, again, uh, more ideas for future podcasts that we're doing is getting your insight on uh, uh, what <laughs> on some of what these guys are talking about and some of those topics that you, that you just brought up that's being talked about on the forums. So uh, another question that I have is, you know, have you gotten any pushback about Small Cap Institute only being open to officers and directors of public companies? Sure. So I think it's important to just be clear at the outset. And for those of you who've been to the site, you already know this, so I'll just be very brief. But for those of you who haven't, there's two sections of the website. There is a public content area, and we will always continue to add to that. That's an area where there's articles of similar quality that are in the members area. So there'll always be articles for, for people who are not officers and directors of public companies. Uh, but for in the, in the paywall area, that area of the website is restricted exclusively. If you're going to be a member, a paying member of Small Cap Institute, you must be an officer or director of a public company. And CEOs, and where did that come from? Well, CEOs were really clear with David during a lot of the formative diligence behind Small Cap Institute. That, and that is, for this ecosystem to really work, it needs to be limited to only officers and directors. In return, David essentially promised that it would always be off limits to, to non-executives and board members, and that Small Cap Institute would always authenticate everyone to keep it that way. And look, are there service providers 
out there who probably aren't keen on that? I think the answer uh, is yes. First, I mean, who, who wouldn't want access to hundreds or thousands of public company officers or directors? Uh, you know, it doesn't exist. So it's kind of the holy grail uh, of service provider business development. Moreover, I think it also is probably a place where they're going to be curious as to what people are saying about them. And, and we certainly understand that. But high quality service providers already have a great idea about what officers and directors of public companies think about them. So, um, you know, I think that uh, we're guided by the people who are going to be paying members. And those are CEOs and CFOs and uh, other officers and also directors of, of small cap companies. And they were resolutely clear for this to work. It has to be limited exclusively to officers or directors. We heard them loud and clear. And that's what we delivered. Mm -hmm. and, and as a quick follow up to this, I mean, um, at, at what point during those conversations did you guys also talk about uh, opening this up to maybe some private company uh, executives and board members? Because I'm sure most of these, especially late stage private companies that are considering going IPO, uh, would love to have access and be able to you know, pick the brain of, of uh, fellow CEOs and executives that have gone through this whole process. Great question. We we have considered it. I would say that the really short answer is stand by on that front. And then in due course, that certainly uh, could take place. I will say that some of the authentication challenges are a little bit more interesting when it comes to private companies sure. and how far they are away from potentially being a public company. So that requires a little bit more thought. But, you know, again, I'll, I'll stick with the short answer, which is stand by on that front. Fair enough. So I, I understand why investors would really want officers and directors of companies uh, they own to join Small Cap Institute. But is there a way for investors to become involved right now? Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you asked that, Bobby. First of all, we're already seeing potential submissions from seasoned investors, and that's terrific. We can't obviously accept all of those submissions, but if you ask David, I'm sure he would tell you that uh, buy-side content contribution will definitely be a cornerstone of the knowledge database going forward. So that's important, and that's a way that everyone can be involved now. Second, and I think to your, uh, your point and perhaps the basis for the question, we're already hearing from not only investors that we know, but investors that we don't know in the small cap ecosystem who are reading the content in the public portion of small cap institute site that I alluded to a minute ago and immediately recommending that their portfolio companies avail themselves of the of that content and also of the forums. And as as one investor said the other day, we were when we were having coffee, he said, after looking at the quality and the uniqueness of the content and the pricing, which pretty much makes it affordable literally to every public company, whether it's NASDAQ, NYSE, OTC markets, et cetera, it's ultimately a great thing for my fund. This was him talking to me. It's a great thing for my fund for all of my portfolio companies to be members from a purely selfish standpoint because I want them to avoid those five kind of buckets of, of value destruction, right? So uh, so it was an interesting interesting to hear. And again, it's terrific that we're beginning to see submissions uh, from investors out there. And that is one way that investors can to begin to contribute immediately, frankly. Gotcha. So uh, so in doing my research for this interview today and, and learning more about Small Cap Institute, you know, I've read some of the articles and, and they're, they're certainly are as uh, differentiated as advertised, as, as you've discussed at length here. You know, but could you talk a little bit more about the interactive forums and, and really what's unique about them? 
Well, yeah, I alluded to earlier, and I used that that term, which I don't throw around lightly. But the forums, really, in my mind, are are, are kind of a stroke of genius by by David and all of this. And what I mean by that, and I'm not being silly in using that word, I think that those forums really have a chance to be transformational. Imagine, if you will, and again, it's a little challenging. I'm going to answer the question by trying to give you some insight into what really is going on in the forums, because you've never been in them and, and your listeners haven't either. And so imagine for a second being uh, a CEO and, and for the first time being able to ask dozens of your peers in an anonymous fashion. A lot of these uh, CEOs are predominantly using fanciful names, usernames. One just signed up using the, using the username Federer fan, so clearly, clearly a Roger fan. Um, but imagine being a CEO and for the first time being able to ask dozens of your peers, for example, uh, you know, we're a $200 million life science company. Has anybody that looks and feels like our company ever been to the following investor conference? Were there actually investors at the conference? Was it all service providers that were on your list of one-on-ones? For example, uh, what was your experience like when you hired the following IR firm? Did they actually do what they said they were going to do? Did they overpromise and underdeliver? Did they change the price immediately? All right. So you see where I'm going. There, there's, um, it's really, for, for CEOs, uh, incredibly useful. And, and then I would also say, because, you know, there, by sheer numbers, there's going to be a lot more board members than CEOs because there are a lot more board members. There's, you know, for every company, there's four, five, six, seven board members versus just one CEO. Imagine being a director on a board of a company run by one of Andy Shapiro's imperial CEOs, as we discussed earlier. Uh, you know, you have all kind of questions. And I know and I'm not speculating. I know that you have all kind of questions because I'm in these boardrooms on a weekly basis, but you don't really have anywhere to get answers. For example, I'll just you know, tell you some things that are being discussed on the forum and, and are asked of me in boardrooms every week. Hey, as a board member, if I don't completely trust, for example, whether our CEO is giving us all the facts in order to weigh some strategic imperative that they're asking the board to approve, how do I investigate that? For example, is it OK for me and the other independent board members to have a phone conversation on a regular basis without the CEO? And by the way, if we do that, do we need to tell the CEO that we did that? So these are things that are, you know, maybe a super experienced board member of a mid or large cap company may view these things as really uh, rote blocking and tackling. But if you're a first time board member or maybe you're only on your second or third board of a micro cap company, I can tell you that most board members I run into, they're certainly smart and trying hard, but a lot of them don't know the answers to these basic questions. And imagine being able to just throw that question out there and there's dozens of board members that can respond back in kind as opposed to you know dealing with uh, having to ask those questions to, uh, to lawyers all the time. So uh, in the absence, I kind of did the same thing, uh, Bobby, in the absence uh, of being able to kind of uh, visit the paywall, uh, you know, for you, all of you to go behind the paywall, I printed out some examples. Would you like to maybe go through some so you can kind of get a sense of some of the conversations that are going on right now in the forums? Only if you promise that we'll do podcasts on each one of them. <laughs> okay, so okay, good. I, I printed out – this looks like six, seven. I pr printed out eight of them, and they're pretty they're pretty short. But in, since everybody likes lists, to your point, here, here's, here's, <laughs> here's some uh, – some active conversations that are going on right now in the forums. And I'm not going to say whether they're CEOs or CFOs or VP of finance or board members, you're you and your 
and your listeners will will get a really good sense of these conversations. And and I'm sure by six or seven, most of you will be nodding. So first dialogue that I printed off, whether to use paid research firms and how to go about diligencing them. And second, best practices for CEOs regarding social media. As we all know, lots of CEOs are pressured by investors of all different kinds of experience levels to be active on social media. Really interesting conversation going on there uh, literally at the moment. Third, why microcap buybacks are mostly a terrible idea. You should stay away from them. Uh, there are uh, the editorial advisory board members have been involved in that dialogue as well because, again, our editorial advisory board members are also experts. So we've been weighing in on some of those as well to provide a buy side perspective uh, since there are no investors in the in the forums unless they're also board members, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, number four how to choose which investor conference to attend. I kind of alluded to that earlier. Number five, serial mistakes that CEOs and CFOs make in dealing with sell-side equity research analysts. Really interesting dialogue. Uh, number six, where does trading volume actually come from and how do you develop it and how do you not develop it? Number seven, how to hire investment banks using quantitative data versus qualitative hiring aspects. And number eight, again, these weren't in any order, but number eight, understanding all the different financing and deal structures that are available and the hedge fund accounting practices that influence all of them, which I certainly have weighed in on uh, as well. So, you know, the list goes on and on. But the purpose of me printing out not only some titles from the interactive forum, but also from the knowledge databases. So, you begin to get an idea when I say that there's some really differentiated practical dialogue going on uh, behind the paywall. Now you have a bit of a, a bit of a better idea. Dude, I'm, I'm literally biting my lip to not ask a follow up for any one of those eight examples to get your <laughs> to get your insight on. Uh, just give me one. If one if you don't, that's fine. But just give me your insights on one of those examples. Just I'm just so curious. Uh, very briefly, I think, you know, the social media, what you hear, interestingly, from other CEOs and talking about social media is uh, is number one. When in doubt, don't say anything uh, when in doubt. I mean, resist the urge to get out there. And, and a number of people have said something which I definitely agree with, as I'm sure, without being presumptuous, some of the editorial advisory board members agree with as well, which is. If you are a CEO of a micro or small cap public company in the United States, the easiest way to stay out of trouble is to simply comment 100% about your company. In other words, no commenting about social uh, or political events, no commenting about sports, no commenting about things going on in your industry. Just stick 100% to uh, non-material public information right about your about your company so you're not violating reg fd and and why is that well experience teaches you that that every step that you move away from that practice is where all the problems happen are there ceos that are terrific and create a lot of value on social media by breaking some of those rules the answer is yes is it a long list? The answer is resolutely no. Some really interesting, so really interesting dialogue going on there, and some pretty good, I think, uh, best practices as well that come from an article that was group edited by Small Cap Institute about exactly that kind of 
here's here's 10 things that you should keep in mind as a CEO and don't stray from these. That's super interesting because, uh, and we won't get too much into it because we want people to go and check this out on SpotCap Institute. But, you know, I talk with PR firms and uh, all the time about, you know, if you're the CEO of a company, you want to be viewed as a thought leader, you know. So it's it's interesting because it does go against some of the, the feedback or, or uh, suggestions that they get on a daily or weekly basis about, you know, you're going to add more value to your firm if you're now seen as a thought leader in your space, as well as also just reporting and on, as well as just executing. All right, and I'll, and I'll just respond to that, Bobby. There, there. I don't, I don't disagree with that, and I know that there's mm-hmm. a lot of investors that are probably shaking their head in agreement, which is it certainly can be impactful and helpful to shareholders for a CEO to be viewed as somewhat of a, of a thought leader in their mm-hmm. space. But remember. There's lots of ways to be viewed as a thought leader without tweeting or sharing all that on LinkedIn, which are which are both venues that are very easy to be misinterpreted. You can be a thought leader by writing a corporate blog. You can be a thought leader by speaking at conferences. Neither one of those things have anything necessarily to do with social media. But some people only think in 180 characters, sorry, 240 characters. Okay, you know, I mean, what are we going to do? We, I'll tell you exactly what we're going to do, Bobby. We're going to, we're going to leave that to Elon. <laughs> Done. <laughs> All right. So, um, my next question then is, uh, uh, will, will there be any content in addition to the articles and interactive forums as you go forwards? The short answer is yes, there definitely are kind of a full slate of webinars and other video content that will be added to the site next year that will, I think, take the content and also the interactivity to another level. Also, one of our advisory board members, Amanda Jarrett, who is a journalist with the corporate governance arm, as I referred to earlier, Financial Times, conducts really interesting interviews, and I know that that you uh, do this as well, really interesting interviews with CEOs who have grown companies from kind of nano cap to micro cap to small cap and beyond. And, and there's a number of them in the public portion of the website uh, today. And that content, as you well know, has never existed for micro and small cap leaders. So while I think it's really interesting, of course, for CEOs to listen to Jamie Dimon or Warren Buffett or Larry Ellison or, or Bill Gates, Listening to someone who in the last five years has grown a public company in the U.S. from nano to micro to small cap, that maybe is a lot in just five years. But but someone who's done that actually is really helpful to CEOs. And we're already hearing from CEOs. Uh, we interviewed, for example, Gary Ridge, who is the CEO of WD-40, those red, blue and yellow cans we all have in our garages. And uh uh, really terrific speaker and very uh, some really differentiated thinking about leadership. So I think those those podcasts are really a, a terrific value add. Also, I will give David his due. Those are uh, the brainchild of David and uh, Amanda. I can take zero credit for those. <laughs> well, we're definitely going to get Amanda on the podcast because I'm sure her and I could go through uh, so many different examples and, and things that we've seen thus far in, in interviewing some of these CEOs because it's it's fascinating stuff. Um, and just for full disclosure, you do not own any shares in any of the companies that you mentioned thus far in the interview? Correct. Perfect. All right. So my next question then is, can, can anyone submit articles uh, to SCI? 
Yeah, good question. Generally speaking, anyone is free to visit the submissions tab on the site and and kind of go by the description uh, of the process there. And it's very basically to, you know, before you go and put pen to paper and, and pour your heart out and write a long <laughs> diatribe about X or Y, shoot us a short note, kind of 150 words or less saying, you know, this is who I am, this is my background, and this is kind of um, this is what I have in mind and we'll get back to you within, you know, kind of five, six, seven business days and let you know whether that's, uh, interesting. Uh, that said, and you know, I don't think I'm overstating this, uh, Bobby on David's behalf, but, uh, you know, the bar for submissions uh, is high. Our members join small cap Institute to exclusively hear from nationally regarded experts, right? Full stop. So, uh, the bar is high and that's not meant to discourage people, but, Again, the members uh, are really busy CEOs, CFOs, uh, and board members, and, and they are looking for content that doesn't exist anywhere else. So, so the bar is, is certainly going to be high. Gotcha. All right, Adam. So we're about to – we're rounding out the interview here. You know, did, did we miss anything regarding SCI or Small Cap Institute? Well, first – not on the subject of Small Cap Institute. First, thanks for having me. Uh, second, uh, your contribution, I think I speak on behalf of lots of current and former either retail or institutional investors saying that having uh, the the content that you develop is incredibly important to to the small public company landscape in the United States. So, so continue doing it. Uh, third, uh, congratulations on your MBA. That's terrific. So good for you. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and you know, the last thing, I think, you know, just from me, just to maybe just bookend the, the thoughts here. And I, uh, I I can't speak for the other editorial advisory board members who who signed on to David's vision. Uh, but from my perspective, more than anything, I think I've seen in my kind of 20 plus years in the small cap ecosystem, this resource to me, and gets back to the reason really why I decided to kind of sign up for David's vision, this resource really has a chance to optimized decision-making for forward-looking small-cap leaders. And that that vision was exciting enough for me to participate. And, and I'm really looking forward to uh, how it all plays out and interacting with uh, with lots of uh, lots of officers and directors uh, of public companies. So um, it's, it's a cool project. Adam, th- thank you so much for that. And, you know, it's it's thanks to, you know, gentlemen like you that are uh, that will are, are really paying it forward to to contribute that that uh, their time and effort to help put out content like this and really share their knowledge base that we can continue to just can really try and keep bringing more and more integrity to the small micro nano cap space you know and that's because that's really where the opportunity lies as an investor in, in my opinion um, so again thank thank you for all that and uh, uh, where can my audience go and find more information about you and small cap institute. Sure. So uh, my website for my firm is Third Creek Advisors, and that's as third as in first, second, third, Creek, and then Advisors with an O, thirdcreekadvisors.com. And LinkedIn, I'm just Adam J. Epstein, and uh, pretty easy to find me there. And on Twitter, I believe my handle is the Adam J. Epstein, which admittedly sounds a little pretentious, but that was the only way I could grab my name because there's a few other Adam Epsteins that uh, that are out there in the ecosystem. Twitter hasn't historically been my, my bag, quote unquote. I, I only joined recently, but uh, I've actually been enjoying it. Pretty interesting 
dialogue with lots of other officers, directors, and investors. So feel free to feel free to join in. Cool. And and what about for Small Cap Institute? Small Cap Institute couldn't be easier. Smallcapinstitute.com. All one you know one word. Smallcapinstitute.com. Perfect. And you can also go and find Small Cap Institute on Twitter as well at Small Cap I N S T Inst. Short for Institute. So, Adam, again, thank you for joining me today. I really appreciate it and I look forward to seeing you soon. Likewise. Thanks for having me, Bobby. Thank you. Thank you all for tuning in to the Planet Microcap podcast. And thank you, Adam, again for coming on to the program. You can access the podcast by going on to stocknewsnow.com under podcast, go to podbean.com and search Planet Microcap podcast, or go on to iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify and search Planet Microcap podcast. Stay tuned for the next Planet Microcap podcast where we'll have our next guest to discuss all things microcap. If you have any questions or comments about the podcast, please send an email to info at snnwire.com. I'd love to hear from all of you. This podcast has been brought to you by SNN Incorporated, publishers of StockNewsNow.com, the official microcap news source, and the Microcap Review Magazine. I'm your host, Robert Kraft, and thank you again for joining me on the Planet Microcap podcast. Have a great week, everyone.